The following transmission contains unencrypted instances of explicit language. Shall we begin? Smiley is suspicious, Percy. You won't know who to trust. Let's begin. Welcome back, fellow spy nerds, to the Spies Like Us podcast, the podcast where we discuss the representation of tradecraft on screens, large and small. With me today is our new co-host, Fred Kennedy. How you doing, Fred? Pretty good, Todd. Glad to be with you. Right on. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, you and I first met uh, maybe about a year ago when you asked me to join you to talk about The Man from UNCLE, which was my first, my favorite TV show when I was a kid. And it was the first time that TV tried to be like James Bond. And uh, so you and I had had quite a conversation about that. And I think it went well. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm a newly retired teacher. I've taught for 40 years, public school teacher. Um, what subject? And, uh, mostly elementary, but I've taught special reading and American history and all kinds of subjects, which Excellent. has kept me. Uh, so my son keeps telling me I should get a hobby. So there you <laughs> all are. All right. Uh, your, your, uh, your hobby of collecting Power Ranger helmets is not, uh, <laughs> is well, not sustaining okay. you any longer? <laughs> no, no, I kind of grew out of that. Okay. All right, man. Um, we're here to talk about, uh, The Old Man. It's a 2022 TV series from FX. I had seen the billboards. It was you. I didn't, I had no idea it was a spy movie until you, or spy TV show until mm-hmm. you pointed that out to me. Uh, I love FX in general. Um, mm-hmm. I'm loving the fact I'm loving their new logo. This is about about time. Uh, yeah. fe- featured agencies in this show are the CIA, the FBI, and the Afghan Mujahideen. Uh, a Soviet GRU agent is very briefly involved in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, story focuses on contemporary events but heavily features flashbacks from the period of the Soviet-Afghan War, which ran from 1979 to 1989. Um, We're going to cover the first five episodes here. The show is ongoing. Um, So even though there's there's another one, episode six is coming out tonight. We haven't seen that yet. Uh, Even though by the time this show comes out, it's possible the the audience will have heard the entire or seen the entire show. So just cut us some slack on some of the things we might be guessing about and, and turn out to be wrong. Um, Also note, we're trying to keep this episode uh, spoiler free until we get to the third episode of the series. The reason for that is because I like this show to be, a showcase for things that uh, people might not have seen yet. And maybe some, some people will listen to a show like this and maybe kind of form an opinion on whether or not they're going to go out and see it. Uh, We certainly think they should, but uh, I'll warn the audience again when the spoiler protection goes off. Um, Fred, what do you know about the Mujahideen? Well, I know they were the group of Afghan Mujahideen, I believe, um, means freedom fighters. And they were the uh, groups of freedom fighters that took to the mountains in Afghanistan when the Russians invaded. And the Russians had them on the run for a long time. Uh, They introduced that horrible weapon, the Hind 
flying tank helicopter, which um, was like a flying tank. It had machine gun capability and missiles. Um, But uh, real quick, didn't Rambo shoot one of those things down with a bow and arrow? (laughs) One of those helicopters? Yeah, I think so. I I think that was the plot of that movie. He was fighting alongside the the Mujahideen. Yeah. and, Rainbow uh, 36 or something or right along with, <laughs> no, no, with Ro- Rocky 15. No, I think right? it was, I think it was two. There weren't that many Rambo. Okay. Movies. All right. Well, you know, I'm exaggerating. That's what good humor is. Exaggeration. Um, sure, sure, sure. Um, also interesting to note, just in case people don't know, uh, the Mujahideen would probably be most famous to most Americans for being the place where Osama bin Laden got all of his training. Um, he doesn't, appear to have any uh, uh, involvement in the story that we're telling. But uh, during these flashbacks, when you're looking at Afghanistan, you could ima- you could very well imagine that a young Osama bin Laden is out there uh, fighting against the Russians as well. Um, this is based on a 2017 book of the same name by a guy named Thomas Perry, who has a couple of ongoing series type novels. I think one of them has got like eight or nine entries in it. Uh, this is not one of them. This one he wrote as uh, a standalone book. Um, I want to mention his longest running series really quick, not only because it sounds really intriguing, um, but I think it says something about his, his kind of interests. It's, uh, um, it's the Jane Whitefield series and uh jane whitefield is a native american woman who has discovered she has a talent for helping people disappear and create brand new identities um and i just thought that was interesting because not only does that sound like a really damn good show that someone should make and they have tried but they haven't succeeded yet uh but it demonstrates his interest in the topic of disappearing the director of the pilot is best known for having directed the last three Spider-Man films. Uh, he only directed the first two of these. I see that he is working on an untitled thriller movie starring uh, George Clooney and Brad Pitt. I hope hmm. that's a spy. I hope that turns out to be a spy movie of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, I also kind of then then there's like a, a second director for. Uh, Episodes three and four. I wanted to mention this guy specifically, Greg Yatanes, because even though I would say the directing style is kind of consistent across the episodes, there are some sequences in, especially in episodes three and four, that I just thought were very masterful and cool. Uh, these are like like long sequences where the camera is just allowed to linger and let us wonder what's going on. Uh, you know, what it is out there that, that we can't see what's happening. Uh, the first one being when, when Carson attacks Bridges uh, mm-hmm. in his house and Zoe is outside. You know that yeah. scene? Yep. Uh, uh, and then again in, in episode four when, uh, when he opens the trunk of his car and uh, we get a very long, very pregnant pause of wondering what's in the trunk. So many times, like when you said that device of a camera lingering on a thing, that's usually an example of foreshadowing of something later to come. And I always like that device that movies and series use um, to accommodate for them not being a book. 
So, and I think it's interesting too that you're noticing the difference between the different directors. Yeah, it just especially especially those. I mean, I really wouldn't have noticed if if I hadn't. I don't think it would have come to mind so much if I hadn't have done the research and noticed that um, the two scenes that were most striking to me visually were by mm-hmm. the same director and um, that he only did uh, those two episodes. Um, and I don't know what he else he's uh, going to be doing. Um, we should, we should note that this, uh, this was a very troubled production. Um, I think they were like just, Oh, two thirds, two thirds of the way through shooting when COVID hit. Mm-hmm. And so they paused for that. And it took them until October of that year. You, do you remember? I don't know how much entertainment news you listen to, but a lot of the buzz that year was studios mm-hmm. talking about and creators talking about how are we going to do this? How are we going to resume production? How are we going to create a COVID safe uh, space in which to do? What well, they we just, do? a lot of them just stopped making movies during right. that time. Right. But over time, people did figure it out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. what happened with, is. With- uh huh. Protocol, COVID protocol, right? They started to get that down, right? And you got to talk to, you got to get the lawyers involved. You got to get. I mean, there's yep. so many things to consider, just so many. Yep. So they had just figured it out, or thought they had, in October, of of the first year of COVID, and then Jeff Bridges got diagnosed with cancer, lymphoma, mm-hmm. and he had to uh, go off and and get uh, treated for that. Uh, thank God he's he's in remission. Seems to be fine. Yeah. And um, yeah. all in all, really surprised to hear uh, how jangled and interrupted the production was because the final product is pretty goddamn tight. Yeah, seamless. I think you said before. You don't notice it. No, yeah, no, you don't. You don't. Um, let's talk about our cast a little bit. Why don't Why don't I give you the microphone for a little while to talk about Jeff Bridges? Um, well, because I'm the old man here, no pun intended or pun intended. I remember he's a, from a family of actors. His father, Lloyd Bridges, when I was a little boy in the fifties, he starred in an adventure under seawater, uh, show called Sea Hunt, Lloyd Bridges. And he was a, an accomplished actor in other films, but this was a big TV series that I didn't realize at the time, but I read reading some of the background that that Bo and Jeff were in it playing his sons uh, during that series. So they got their start there. I also knew about Bo and they were, Bo was quite a, just about as active as Jeff for a while in Hollywood. In fact, they played in a movie together called the Baker boys. Um, I know the first big one. I know that there's, I know that there's one movie where both of the brothers got to play with their dad. I don't know what it is. I don't know what. Yeah, it I'm is. not sure. Sea Hunt though was was a big was a big thing from my childhood, and boy, they uh, they look a lot like their dad. It's uh, have you ever seen any of the old clips of Sea Hunt with Lloyd? I might I might have as a kid. I know what Lloyd Bridges looks like, but okay. mostly mostly for the Hot Shots movies with Charlie. Sheen. Okay, yeah, when the spoof, yeah, when he was kind of spoofing himself and. Yeah, he was very, very um, funny. The big, the first time I've ever seen him in a pretty good feature film was Thunderbolt and Lightfoot when he co-starred with Clint Eastwood in 1974. 
That's now we're talking, first... we're talking Jeff or Lloyd? Jeff, I'm sorry. I okay. didn't okay. specify. Yeah. Jeff, Jeff's big role, big from my memory in 1974, Thunderbolt and Life Lightfoot with Clint Eastwood. Um, so that was my first. And then, of course, you know, many years later, of course, you you mentioned um, the dude, right, before. Uh, yes, okay. yes. And, uh, and also True Grit. He reprised uh, John Wayne's role in True Grit, uh, playing the, the grizzled sheriff. Another fine film. Yeah, um, yeah he's uh, uh, he's one of the truly great actors of, I would call it your generation. Um, mm-hmm. My generation definitely knows him best as the dude from Big Lebowski. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm constant. You know, my mom's a big Coen Brothers fan. Yeah, she didn't. I don't think she. I'm not even sure if she's ever seen the Big Lebowski. I'm constantly having to underline her to her just how much like my generation like that's the Coen Brothers movie, and yeah. um, I, I got I got this I got this these little stories I just have to tell about the dude. Um, there was one time, uh, you know, without not thinking about it or anything, but uh, you know, I did have a beard, I had long hair, and I was at my computer uh, in my bathrobe. And some friends of my roommate came by to pick him up. Uh, you know, they're going to go out clubbing or something. And then they go down out of the apartment and they're walking below my open window. And I hear one of them say to Chris, my roommate, he says, man, why didn't you tell us your roommate was the dude? <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, I suddenly realized like, oh my God, I am kind of, kind of doing that. Uh, with that image in, in mind, uh, later that year, my company had a, a bowling. Uh, shoot, how how am I not coming up with this word? We went bowling. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's a noun for it. Um, and I decided to go as the dude, uh, full mm-hmm. on shorts, shorts and and sandals and bathrobe, dark sunglasses. Uh, had my hair down and just drank nothing but white Russians for the night. Did everybody and- get it? Everybody absolutely, everybody absolutely got it. And strangers were coming up to me and asking to take my, uh, take a picture, uh, with them. So cool. for sure, Very if you cool. ever want to get a whole bunch of attention, just show up at a bowling alley dressed as any, any character from the big Lebowski. <laughs> yeah. So we get the power of bridges here. We also bring on the formidable talents of Mr. John Lithgow. Oh, he's amazing. Oh Yeah. Um, he has, and we always like to make a point when we have an actor that shows up on the show that we've talked about before. Uh, we have had Lithgow on the show before that was in our Miss Sloan episode where he played the Senator that was grilling her about her espionage activities. Mm. Now I didn't, did you ever watch third, third rock from the sun? Not much. No, I knew of it, but no. I got to say, I didn't really like it and I didn't find yeah. it funny. I didn't get it. But yeah. uh, in his six seasons, he took three Emmy Awards for Best Comedy Actor mm-hmm. uh, yeah. in that run. So it's kind obviously- of a one joke sitcom, you know? It's- I felt I felt that way. Yeah. 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 His um, big, the big, the big thing I remember, and you had mentioned it too, is the Twilight Zone episode where he's on that plane 
looking out the window, watching that gargoyle tear apart Amazing. the wing. Amazing. By the yep. way, he has said that that role is the favorite of his film career. Wow. That And that was just a short. That was the, was that John Landis? What was his name? Who did those three? I think it is. Twilight Zone, the movies where Vic Morrow was killed in that helicopter. Well. Crash, was that one of them? It is. Landis is the one that did the really, really messed up production. Uh, but yeah. the four segments had four different directors. Okay. I believe. Right. But and, and what that was one of them, the 2000, you know, was it death at so many thousand feet or something? Yes. Um, Gargoyle night, one? Nightmare at 20,000 feet. Okay. Um, also, for I was sure, a big, I, go ahead. I was a big fan of Vic Morrow in the show combat in the sixties. I think the two, my two favorite shows as kid, as a kid growing up was, were the man from uncle in combat and Vic Morrow played the sergeant in that series. And of course he played the racist in the one where he was killed by the helicopter when that went bad. Um, but I was a big fan of Vic Morrow when I was a kid okay. uh, and he kind of played, he was kind of big, in B movies in the fifties, kind of playing a, a James Dean kind of character. Oh, um, Vic Marr was, and then there was another one in that I believe, where Scatman Crothers. You know how um, Twilight Zones wouldn't just be scary, but sometimes they would be eerily poignant. There was one called Kick the Can. Oh yeah, and I think it was one of the ones in Scatman Crothers. You know yeah. who also played in The Shining. Um played kind of a spiritual ghost character at that senior citizen's home where he took all those senior citizens and had them play kick the can. Right. Do you remember that? It I was do. beautiful. I don't it remember beautiful. it being scat. I mean, I didn't remember Crothers until you mentioned it, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I liked that one. He had such a way about him. And uh, like I say, the, there were many Twilight Zones episodes that weren't just scary, that were just eerily beautiful. Mm. Yeah. And I think that was one of them. All right. Um, fun fact that I came across uh, while researching Lithgow. Uh, apparently NPR did some um, adaptations of the Star Wars films. Lithgow plays Yoda. <laughs> if you can imagine wow. that. <laughs> and of course, the SNL Master Thespian he did with uh, oh, yeah, John yeah. Lovett is hysterical. Very much so. Um, over here, our third build actor is Amy Brenneman. It is Amy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, she's a surprise for me. Uh, I didn't know the name. When I heard, when I listened to my critics on Pop, or yeah, Culture Gab Fest, they were, they were a gag over her. They're huge fans, huge fans. But I didn't know any of her work. Uh, I was actually a little surprised. I, she actually does show up in one of my favorite movies of all time. I just didn't, never knew what her name was. Uh, and that is, she's the love interest in Heat. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've and seen, NYPD Blue. You've seen her before. Yeah, in NYPD Blue. Yeah. Okay. All right. But she, I don't think she's ever had, had his media role, M-E-A-T-I-N-G, uh, or Y. As she had here. I mean, sometimes you see these actors and actresses in 
bit parts and in sure, sitcoms, right. and you don't really know their full capacity until <laughs> like this one, where she really in her older age and with this part, she's shown her chops. She's a, she's a really awesome surprise to me, uh, for sure. Um, I really appreciate that. Uh, you know, I, you know, there's some, there's some movies out there, generally not super great movies, uh, where for some reason, like, uh, our male protagonist has to kidnap, uh, a woman like for her protection. Um, it's, it's kind of not a great look for the, for the patriarchy and the representation of women in film in general. I really appreciated that she plays this really crappy situation with a true sense of dread and self-preservation um that that i'm I'm really allowed she's i'm really glad that she's allowed to have that space Um, and balls too when she pulls that thing (laughs) with the envelope Yeah, yeah, yeah i mean when you know and she knows and we know what the bridges character is capable of the fact that she pulls that without pulling any spoilers shows you how ballsy and she explains it afterwards why she does it the thing uh, to back up a little bit more for heat oh. i'm a huge you know for, again from my generation a huge de niro and pacino fan because you know the godfather taxi driver i grew up with those geniuses what blew my mind and i didn't even know this until i read about it is that incredible scene with those two having coffee with each other Remember? And they know who they are, right? Pacino, the cop, who's trying to take down De Niro, and they're having coffee, and they're talking to each other. First of all, it's like an acting clinic, those two geniuses having that discussion together. I mean, it's just... But the kicker, and I didn't know if you realized this, and it blew my mind, because I was a fan of both of them since they came on the scene, that's the first time they were ever in a scene together. Yes. Now, people say, how can that be with The Godfather? Well, Godfather Part Two was a, mostly a flashback. And he, the young Vito, is played by De Niro in flashbacks. So Pacino would never have a scene with him. So when people pointed that out, I thought, wow, but yeah, I get it. They've ne- that was the oh, first time they were ever in a scene together. Right, right. Godfather Part, Godfather part been, Two. The way it's been described to me, if this is correct, the trailer for that movie was just the scene in the coffee shop. That's just what they put on the screen, you know. To not to, the not the shootout. No, 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 not no. the big shootout. Wow, that's because, un, that's because weird. that because that was the big draw. That was the big draw of heat. That was their huge okay. selling point. They wanted to hammer to audiences. You're getting it. You've wanted it for years. Finally, De Niro and Pacino well, in a room together. I think, yeah, I think that's great. But to me, the cynical part of me would think they'd go for the shoot 'em up. And I've also read that um, in the uh, the Dark Knight was when the Joker, the opening scene with the Joker taking that bank, was somewhat influenced by the taking of the bank and heat in the opening scene with Val Kilmer and those guys. Yeah. Not to get too off topic, but it was so weird. I think it was like a year later, like uh, there was a, there was a, wait, I forget. There was a robbery, like just like that. And I forget if the movie came first or if the robbery came first. Hmm. Um, Hmm. I don't know. 
interesting story either way, just a, a different kind of story. Then we've got Alia Shawkat, who, who doesn't show up on the billboard, but definitely would be our fourth build person. Um, it uh, took me a while to recognize her, but she is uh, maybe from Arrested Development, or at least that's what her breakout role was, was playing uh, mm-hmm. the, the daughter of Jason Bateman's sister, so his niece. Uh, I really loved her in that show. I'm not sure if you're familiar. No, not Okay. I'm not familiar with it, but uh, I'm just, again, very impressed with her performance in this. Yeah, I am blown away by her performance in this. Um, but yeah, she's got some scenes with Lithgow where I, I actually think she's blowing him off the screen. Yeah. Which should be impossible. And she shows so much emotion just in her eyes. The scene on the plane that's broken up. And then they come back to it. It just keeps building. She does. She has got some crazy good command of her facial muscles. There are some just great ticks of uh, of of seething and competing emotions. She's she's doing that. Yeah, uh, and love, and just plain love and heartbreak, and yeah, 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 the full gamut. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a great place to mention that. Uh, uh, before we head into the briefing room, just my final, just overall thought about this show is there, there was this movie called the grifters. Are you familiar? Yes. Okay. John Cusack, Angelica Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget who the woman was. Was it Melanie Griffith? Maybe. Not sure. Okay. But it was so weird to me. And I like, I did like the movie that it was a, it was a movie about con men, but it wasn't, like it didn't follow the formula of a movie like The Sting. Like all all movies about con men like are, about the con. are about the con. Yeah, yeah about the job. Right. And and right. this one wasn't. It was about the people mm-hmm. themselves. And I kind of wanted to draw that parallel here where like in The Old Man, uh, and I'm trying to stress this to people I'm trying to recommend the show to because I recommend this show to a different crowd of people than, than I would recommend, you know, some of our other uh, spy movies. Um, but this this show is really about the people and much mm-hmm. less about the job. And I think that's really cool. Yep. Retinal scan complete. Validating security clearance. Clearance granted. You may now enter the briefing room. A lot of the show is in flashbacks. And uh, he starts out as an old man and he's in this little town and he's trying to um, he's questioning himself and he's older and he goes to a psychologist and he's wondering if he's, um, missing things. His wife does pass away from, uh, Alzheimer's and he, his daughter is wondering about him too. And he is walking through town and he sees a strange face that looks at him in the window from a coffee shop. So he goes home and sets up a tripwire of tin cans around his room. And whether it's paranoia or just kind of a throwback from his old life, we don't know till the cans go off. With the help of the dogs and the cans going off, sure enough, there's an assassin 
waiting for him. But Bridges and the dogs get a jump on him and he kills him. And uh, the cops come and he makes it look like a break-in. But from then on, he knows something is up. And for 30 years, he's been trying to go to ground and be quiet about his identity. We know from flashbacks that he was in Afghanistan working for the CIA as a young man. Um, the John Lithgow character is his station chief. Was, and, was, uh, was his station was chief his, in, right. in, Af in Afghanistan, yes. We know, I mean, one thing we know about Dan Chase is that he went into very, very deep cover in his retirement. We still don't know why. Um, so we're going to try to put as many of, of the pieces of that puzzle together. Right. As, and as I don't know. Yeah. As much as we both know that the two of them did something controversial that they're trying to take care of now, we still don't know what that was. We still don't know what the controversy was. That is true. You know, we have hints of it. You know, and we know about the political historical happenings that had, and I'm, I'm probably guessing a little too much. Like I'm when I'm conflating the M21 sniper rifles with the SAM missiles, which was the reality. Maybe they're a stand-in. I don't know. So yes, it's it's easy to get ahead of ourselves, and I, I I hear you. Okay, no worries. Um, but yeah, so uh, uh, so what we one thing we know is something really bad happened in Afghanistan. And that's why he's gone into such a uh, deep cover. And I want to underline this thing about the dementia. Uh, his wife did die of it. Um, he's still got uh, written on a whiteboard in his house. Your name is Abby Chase. Uh, his daughter, he speaks to his daughter regularly. It seems on the phone. And she seems to have picked it almost feels like she has picked up on something that he not quite not hasn't exactly like the fact i think i think what we're meant to get from from this sequence <clears throat> is that his spy senses are tingling he knows mm -hmm. something he knows something's off something's in the air but i think it's starting to affect his behavior but he hasn't even really realized it or he thinks it could just be i don't know whatever ghosts I'm being paranoid. We know he sees ghosts. You know, we see his his wife uh, in the bathroom. Uh, you know, his his dead wife uh, talking to him. Um, it's. I think it's because she knows him so well that she has pointed out, like, Dad, you've been off lately. Something's wrong, mm -hmm. and he's like, I don't know what it is. But I think it's that that triggers him to go and get his cognitive test from the doctor to tell him whether or not he's, his brain is still firing on all cylinders. And the doctor tells him, yeah, you're fine. You passed with flying colors. So that coupled with his daughter's premonitions tells him like, yeah, this shit is real. Uh, yeah. I'm listing that as my number three best tradecraft of the show. Uh, because I have not seen this. I've just, I've just not seen this before. Uh, this this question addressed of what does happen when uh, a spy with a long history of uh, things that he doesn't want to <laughs> talk about 
falls into a state of dementia where maybe that stuff starts coming out, you know? Although, as I have pointed out, um, even though it hasn't been in the series yet, the Slough House books deals with that. In about book three, River, right? His father was a high echelon M15, not in the field, but a decider of Cold War policy, right? And he was his grandfather, not father, his grandfather. And he lives in this big rambling house and he's been retired. And he's, start, and he's showing signs of dementia and forgetfulness. So there's that whole issue, even the people at M15 about, is he going to be you know, telling secrets that shouldn't be told? Is he going to be conflating when he tells stories? Um, so they deal with that uh, to the point of, Someone coming to the house, pretending that the river, who's an assassin. And there's the whole question is, will grandpa realize that this is river? Because a kid looks a lot like river on purpose. Oh. And, or is grandpa going to be able to tell the difference? So they deal with that in Slough House uh, in one of the books. And it's, uh, it's interesting that you brought up that here, because you think about the security risk that somebody in the uh, higher upper echelons of the spy, even though it was a core, uh, cold war. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with them keeping quiet? So, yeah. Interesting. You do. And of course those books, uh, that, that Fred just talked about are the books that inspired the, um, the excellent recent TV series, slow horses with Gary Oldman, which we talked about on this show. Um, Fred, you wait, just remind me, seen the show i know you love the books Did right you see the show? i have not yeah i don't get whatever it's on apple i don't get oh but right, right, right. just from reading about it i started ordering the books for the library and i've read about six of them so far and they're hysterical and i can just see gary oldman having a ball with this role and you have said that he is good so eventually i'm sure i'll see it but you know it's usually better to read the books first Okay. And they're, hyster- they're laugh out loud funny. They're hear, laugh out loud funny. I hear really great things about the books. And I called the TV series the 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 most truly funny spy story that I've that I've ever I've ever seen. It's an interesting dynamic and I, I'm I'm sure Gary Oldman is is having a blast with it. So some thoughts about the assassination attempt on Dan Chase. Um I am a little and now of course uh oh and back to the dimension thing uh bridges is playing chase really well as a as a vaguely befuddled grumpy old man you know mm-hmm. it's really cool to see his scenes or uh, you know in in his cover identity as opposed to when he's not being observed and is being and is yeah. bringing out his full like mental acuity such such a great uh balance talking there. to the dogs how about when he talks to the dogs like what <laughs> He'll look in the rearview mirror and the, those two Rottweilers there, he'll go, what? <laughs> they almost steal the show. They're so expressive. What are they, Dave and Carol? Yeah, the dogs are the dogs are good. Oh, my God. They're great. Um, yeah, he talks to them. But, you know, given – I don't know. I mean, eventually we're going to find out that this CIA, this assassin – we don't know if he's CIA, but he was sent by – or at least is working alongside a CIA agent who we'll meet later named Raymond Waters. Um, I don't know, like, 
I mean, a job like this, you're supposed to you're supposed to know more about the target. You're supposed to have studied him longer. If you've studied him at all, you know, and I'm mm -hmm. I'm thinking like two weeks. I mean, it's been what, fifty years since the guy disappeared? Like you well, not fifty, but <laughs> a lot. You know, yeah. You can take your time on taking the shot. Uh at a minimum they have to have noticed the dogs, you know, and yeah. they have no plan. There's no plan for the dogs. Right. And I'm sorry, but like, you know, poison is, is uh, kind of a something you, mm -hmm. you should maybe consider in these kind of situations. Not that I would want to see these dogs poisoned. I will be extremely yeah. mad if these dogs get hurt in this show. I don't think they're going to, though. Um, I, th I think we might have seen all we're going to see of the dogs, except maybe at, at some kind of happy ending. Um, they only send one guy. There's no backup team. The guy brings a silencer right. on his gun, which... Even the cops think that's fishy. Even it, the cops think that's fishy. It is. It doesn't... I mean, it doesn't seem necessary. It doesn't... It, doesn't, it seems like something that's going to call more attention to the yeah. murder than less, at least in the forensics... Right element of it and also a little bit of minus five points for dan chase for not realizing that he could have removed so because what he does after killing yeah. the guy is he goes over and he picks up and he you know uses the guy's uh gun in his own hand to fire a couple shots into the door or into the wall so that he can claim you know that he was fired at uh obviously he's not expecting any kind of detail or well, he's already decided he's going to get the fuck out of here. So maybe he doesn't really care how bad it looks. But he could have removed the silencer and he could have thought about the angle of the bullets because if they do mm -hmm. any kind of analysis, you know, crime scene analysis, they're going to see that the shots were fired from someone that was prone. Um, right. Or supine yeah. is actually the word mm -hmm. for that. Um, yeah, that was kind of sloppy. So it's not, it's not really, though, until after he's killed that guy that we as the audience get tipped off like, Oh, this guy's a pro. Uh, and that's when he goes mm -hmm. and grabs his boogie bag. Now you asked me what a boogie bag is. And to be honest, that might be a term that I made up, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's something, it's something I always love to see. I always give it plus five points. That's your little, that's your little duffel bag. That's always close to the door. It's got some cash. It's got a gun. It's got oh. your fake IDs. It's got everything you need to do what, like what uh, De Niro says in Heat, you know, is like, you know, always be willing to walk away within like two minutes if yeah. if you feel the heat on, on your back. So you have it packed. Right. You have it packed. It's a go. Some people call it a go bag, right? Sure. Sure. Right. Yeah. So always, I always, gotcha. always plus for me. Um so that that alerts us now his conversations with his daughter take on a different tone uh and and we find out she does know what he what he used to do of course he reminds her no like i told you some of what i used to do um and uh and he's on the run um mm -hmm. they send well, I, I mean, I guess there was a backup team. They're just not super quick because there's the two guys in the <laughs> SUV. But right. they're, they're coming in like hours later. Right, right. Um, 
not not I'm not super thrilled with that. I mean, I like you yeah. mentioned to me that, you know, maybe he had just so convincingly portrayed this befuddled old man persona and they were never even told maybe they're not even supposed maybe that's part of it maybe the cia thought like it's better if we send guys that don't know anything mm-hmm. 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 i could okay. get him i could get him off the yep. hook. um and not give it him not give it him the credit he deserves just right. like yeah yeah just like river's grandpa i mean he's he's losing it but he hasn't lost it completely that's right um, we're going to talk about Harper in a minute right now, just to wrap up Dan Chase's arc in the, in the first episode. Um, he does get a call from his old station chief in Afghanistan and, uh, kind of gets warned that there's guys coming after him. And, uh, he manages to kill them. And then he's got this great scene. Now there was this uh, moment in the conversation where, uh, uh, Harper said to Chase, like, I don't even know if I would recognize you now. And then there's this glorious scene after he's killed the two uh, other agents uh, where he's standing there like silhouetted in the headlights with the smoke. And you can just it's a it's a up angle uh, and, and he's obscured. But he says, like, do you recognize me now? And it's yeah. such a fuck yeah moment. Right. But. I'm going to penalize it for tradecraft. Uh, I don't. Okay. So you're on the run. Harper's called him and God, I wish, I wish I could put this in the right order, but um, he knows, he knows that Harper knows who and where he is and that Harper would like nothing better than for Dan Chase to just disappear forever. Um, calling, you know, I mean, he picks up the dead assassin's cell phone, uh, somehow manages to correctly guess which number is Raymond Waters number. Um, maybe that's another thing. Like, don't have your, your, if you're CIA, like don't have your cell phone number on the cell phones (laughs) of the people you send out to do killings. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. so beep for minus spy points there but and he asks for harper and so he's tip chase is tipping waters off to the fact he knows that harper is there Mm -hmm. and that is Mm -hmm. telling waters that chase knows that harper is there how does he know that well Mm -hmm. it should really look bad on on harper so two things here first of all i just don't understand chase's decision to play this card the way he does even though it's it's really cool um but it definitely i definitely don't like the fact that this causes the you know team red to put harper in charge of the investigation when instead this should be a gigantic red flag that harper is a fucking problem right and that that there's a personal involvement yes which is not which is never good and usually not professional, but yeah. But also that he's leaked information. Like uh, how, how do they imagine? How is, how does anyone imagine Chase knew that Harper was there? The only way, reason mm-hmm. he knows is because Harper called him and right. 
only Harper and Chase know that until Chase tells so, them. That's that's a good point. And Waters is kind of made fun of as being asking too many questions. But like what you just pointed out, once Waters witnessed that connection, of course he'd be asking a million questions, right? Yeah. So um, so that's Dan Chase. Uh, and and from here he's gonna uh, he's gonna make a phone call to a guy named Stuart in Los Angeles, asking him to have the house ready. And it looks like he's gonna travel to L.A. under the alias of Dixon, who I uh, presume to be the rich and anonymous investor uh, character that he kind of uh, uses as an alias for a while. For the sake of com- simplicity, we're gonna continue to refer to the Dan Chase character as Dan Chase even though Mm -hmm. we know that wasn't his name in the past and isn't his name in the future. In fact, Johnny, he was Johnny in Afghanistan. I think Johnny was his nom de guire or whatever. Sure. But for simplicity, we'll call Johnny young chase. Um, so now we're over to, uh, Harold Harper. Can I hand that one off to you? Who's this guy? Um, interesting character. We get to see him as, uh, grandpa and uh they humanize him and he you know there's a connection between him and chase and by the way the young guy that plays the lithgow character has him down beautifully uh in the afghanistan the casting the casting of both of their younger selves was really good yeah yeah and And then he says when this goes bad you know who they're going to come to to fix it, meaning him. In other words, I'm going to let you have these weapons, but when this goes belly up, which it will, you know who they're going to come to. Right? I thought that was powerful and also a foreshadowing mm-hmm. of the shit to come 30 years later. Right. Uh, Lithgow is now, uh, the Harold Harper character is the assistant director of the FBI. And he's got his secret motive his secret, uh, you know, I always like to talk about um, win conditions for characters and whether or not they make sense. Uh, Harper's win condition is pretty simple. Uh, he just wants Chase to disappear forever. He doesn't want whatever it was, the super bad thing that happened in Afghanistan. Harper doesn't want this out. I don't think Chase cares as long as his his daughter is safe. I agree. Um the thing that we, there's a couple things that remind me of three days of the condor. And one of the things is when the let's go character tells chase the two things he's got to do, right. Uh, with threatening the daughter, the two things he could do. And, yeah. 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 And then when he says, maybe I'm a story worth telling that, is right out of Condor when the Redford character is in front of the New York times and the Cliff Robertson character is saying, first of all, how do you know they're going to print it? Right. And he also catches him. And I love this too, because, and that's what made me wonder about, you call him the painter, the boat guy. And you refer to him as kind of an Oracle kind of a character too, is that there's these guys that, create these scenarios like in three days of the condor they created all these what i would call contingency plans and then act on them in case they ever come up 
So you got Redford getting ready to go into the New York Times to blow this story out of the water. And Cliff Robertson kind of has the word because he says, because Robert, uh, Redford says to him about the American people, ask them, in other words. Sure. Um, so my two things here, uh, I've got, uh, oh, I've got some, I've got some best and some worst. Um, his first move now also there's a, there's a huge leap of logic that Harper makes that he immediately decides this must have to do with Afghanistan. Well, actually maybe that's not that big of a leap because why else would they have brought him in? So he, he must know, you know, he brought in as an advisor at first. Um, so he knows that means it must have to do with Afghanistan. So, okay. So I got that. But the, the thing I think is a big leap is that he decides that Hamzad must have convinced the U S to bring chase to him in Afghanistan. Um, mm-hmm. his first yeah. move to do that is to warn chase by phone. Um, I feel like, I don't know. I don't know everything about what we can and can't do with cell phones. In intelligence, I presume it's a lot more than what we see in movies, and sometimes maybe less. But if they can pinpoint his location and phone number, they can certainly track his phone calls in and out. And mm-hmm. we need to remember here, like that, you know, law enforcement always says in these cases, it's not the content of the conversation that's so valuable; it's the time of knowing who called who and when. And so, mm-hmm. in this case, it beggar's belief to me now maybe they wouldn't be able to get this information in real time but Mm -hmm. it beggar's belief to me that the cia is not going to be able to figure out that harper called uh dan chase at this time Mm -hmm. and it it, and and they're gonna see who chase called you know his daughter uh and and have those numbers um generally speaking i think cell phone usage might be my worst number three tradecraft of the series. They made a real like cool looking hand wavy thing where like after his, the conversation with his daughter that we got to see uh, before he goes into town, he puts the cell phone in the microwave and turns it on, which looks cool, but it gives rise to a couple of questions for me. First of all, like how many cell phones do you have? <laughs> Because yeah. clearly he talks to her regularly. So he can't do this every time. Um, yeah. Maybe, okay. No, I think I just worked it out though. No, but the reason he's burning this cell phone is because this is the time when he's basically kind of got his first conver- confirmation that something is up. So it's not like his habit to, you know, just every time he talks to his daughter right. <laughs> to burn another cell phone. Right. Um. But after that, I feel like everyone just uses cell phones like way too freely. Uh, you know, Chase is calling his daughter all the time. Uh, later, we'll see uh, a character named Angela making a phone call from a bathroom that I thought was really, really uh, not a good idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, over here, my best, uh, my best though. Uh, I want to underline Harper's argument to Dan Chase. He says, I know you well enough to know you're building a list of options. Eventually, you're going to figure out there's only two. One of them is to fight and the other is to disappear forever. 
let me tell you why. And because Harper's win condition is for Chase to disappear forever. He's figured out a way to lay it out to Chase in that he says, if you don't disappear forever, I will park on your daughter and it might be months. It might be years. You'll eventually try to make contact with her and then we will put her in prison. Like if she knows any, if she knows anything about, you know, any crimes you've committed. And I presume she does says Harper. She'll, she'll go to prison. So do, do the thing I mm-hmm. want you to do, which is to disappear forever. Of course, and that's when he says maybe it's a maybe it's a story worth telling mm-hmm. after that, all yeah, that. Right, right. Yeah. Uh that is uh wow. Oh shoot. I know I put it okay. Well, I don't it's one of my three best. When we get to the end, I'll remember which which one it is. It might be Okay. I think it's my number no, it's gotta be my number two. Yeah. I did three too. I did three, I did six, I did three and three as well. Uh huh. Cool, cool, cool. Um so at this point, now up until this point, uh, Waters, Raymond Waters, fairly minor character, but an important one. Um, he was the one that was in charge of this operation. Now that his agents have been killed, he's no longer, like they flip it. At first it was Lithgow advising on Waters' CIA operation. But now for some reason it's changed to Waters consulting on Harper's FBI investigation. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure really. I, again, I don't think, I don't think they really explained to my satisfaction why that change was made or why it would make sense. Um, that's before the, the three of them decide to pull their efforts, right? Yes. That's uh, before that. Waters, uh, yeah. uh, Angela and Angela. Harper. How, um, how did that change? I just wanted to mention, you know, it was DCS that told him that Harper might be helpful. Uh, D- DCS is the Defense Clandestine Service. That's a component of the U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency tasked with carrying out espionage operations around the world. Um, n- but, but that's suspicious, too, because when we find out later, and I won't give a spoiler, but when we find out later who basically put Waters onto this, that must mean that must mean that DCS is in on it with that person too. And that could make sense to me because like the reason DCS would like, this is a, 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 you know, the manhunt for chase is a domestic issue. It's the FBI. CIA is not supposed to operate inside our borders. My understanding. So yeah. what what Raymond did was pretty fucking fishy. Um but the DCS connection would be is they would have been the one that ones that might have had the files connecting Chase and Harper over in Afghanistan. That's the sort of thing, you know, whatever we were up to in Afghanistan during that war, that would make mm-hmm. sense that that's part of the DIA's thing. Um yeah. Yeah, because remember he gets the call and says whoever Whoever you get on the phone with, don't question. Just do what they say. Remember that later on? Yes, yes. I like that. I like that. Um, and Raymond Raymond Waters is like, just don't be me. Um, yeah. I he like, can't help himself. I like the Waters character. He's kind of a delicious kind of asshole. 
And he's mm-hmm. self-aware enough, though, to know he is an asshole. Um, yeah. Uh, and then they figure it out, though. Um, Angela and Waters keep figuring it out, to use your term. He's such an asshole. Nobody likes him. He keeps asking questions. Why is it that he's here? And then they they figure it out. Why? Later why? on, remember? The, Go ahead. Between and Angelo. Oh, I didn't, I didn't want to do another spoiler. But they figure out why is he here? Nobody likes him, right? And then they figure out who whose man he is. Okay. Hamzat, right? Because they're going back and forth. They figure it out together. You know, she's bouncing. I think she's kind of like doing a Socratic thing with him. I think she knows. Oh, I like that. And she's bouncing. Yeah, she's bouncing all this. You know, if he's such an asshole and he keeps asking questions and nobody likes him, why is he here? She knows and she gets him to come to the conclusion that you know who has put him up to this. Mm-hmm. Which is why they eventually get on the trail and get on the plane and right and get to talk to the lawyer and sure sure okay um the other thing that the other thing that popped up in their first conversation this is a, again Waters recruiting Harper um, or you know telling him that uh, his help is wanted uh, they he refers to uh, he he makes sure Harper understands you know okay so before I ask you. Before before I ask you any questions, I want to be clear, sir, that you know that I've been granted SCI access for this. So he's telling him, like, you know, what you tell me, like, I'm cleared to hear above normal shit. Um, SCI stands for Sensitive Compart- Compartmented Information. And that is not a level of clearance. It's like a it's like a little temporary bump in your security clearance for one topic only. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but that 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 has to that has to not be enough for the Lithgow character because so much of the Lithgow character's concerns are personal. So whether that clearance is there or not, they're still not going to be comfortable with telling him everything, right? That's right. That's until he finds out who sent him. Right. That's absolutely right. Um, yeah. uh, speaking also of Harper and the and the the DIA connection. So Harper was Chase's section chief in Afghanistan. Well, clearly he was CIA then. Do you think that's mm-hmm. common that people move from the CIA to the FBI? I, I yeah, I don't know. Or maybe I wonder about that. That's something I might yeah, Google. I just. don't know. I've never heard of it. Um. Uh, more, more on Waters. You know, he's kind of a blunt instrument. Uh, he's not subtle, uh, and I think he'd be a he'd he'll be a much better agent if he learns subtlety someday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there is a cool scene with him and Lithgow, uh, where uh, you know, basically Waters being Waters, he is you know started asking Angela like weird questions, and Harper's calling him in to challenge him on that, and. Uh, and and Waters is saying like, well, you know, it, it's just it's just my nature. I'm curious sometimes to just ask questions. And uh, Harper tells him like, well, there's three. You know, I I used to do the same thing. And there's three reasons I would ask questions, and one of them is to see what comes out. The other is just to see a reaction. 
mm-hmm. how they react to the question. And sometimes it's just to put something in their head that'll bounce around like billiard balls and eventually see what comes out. And, and water says, that's funny. Now I'm trying to figure out which of the three you're doing with me. And, and Harper smiles and says, it's fun, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was a nice scene. But, uh, but I think waters will, will, if he's going to evolve into a better agent, he needs to, he needs to get better at, uh, subtlety. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Um, You've got notes. So Harper now, now that the situation is, is evolving with chase on the run and now he's in charge. Oh, this kind of reminds me of like why I loved um, the Kevin Costner film. No way out so much is, is because of the situation of basically being tasked. Well, in, in no way out, it was a little more complicated. He was tasked with the manhunt to find himself. You know what I mean? (laughs) But uh, Harper's in a funny position here where he's been given the job of finding someone that his number one goal in life is to have never get found. With that in mind, he's going to go visit a guy named the painter. And I thought you could tell uh, that's what I'm going to call him. He does have a name in the show. It's boat B O T E. Yeah. But uh, uh, what, what do you, what do you think of this, this, this character? that we will call them. Good. As you, I think you said, he's kind of an Oracle character. He sees himself as a father figure. Here we go with father figures again of both agents and had warned them. And he said, like sons do, they don't listen to their fathers. In other (laughs) words, when, when they went off half cocked in this Afghanistan mission, he warned them about it, which again, the political junkie and historical junkie in me keeps wondering what the hell that is because we know what happened in Afghanistan. So I keep wondering what is the controversy again, unless it's personal and he warns them about that. And you know that he has love for them, but he's at the point where he has to shut it down. And an interesting character, again, it kind of reminds me of, Condor. And the other thing that reminds me of Condor is you talk about these people on the run, right? And you were just talking about Bridges. The thing about Condor, which was so interesting, he was not a field agent, so he wasn't predictable. That's why they couldn't find him. Remember? You know, he was not predictable, wasn't a field agent. He kept doing things impulsively. So back to Bolt. Um, Yeah. And then Bolt brings up as they walk in the obituary. He said a woman from the New York Times called him to check on his obituary. And he's concerned with that. And Lithgow comes in and says he's concerned about his obituary. My name. My name is all we have. Then he has that conversation with with Angela on the plane. So I just said, I thought that showed a bit of vanity on both of their parts, I think. Because whether your most intelligence agency agents know full well that many times they'll never never be recognized for what they do and so on. And they're told that up front. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So whether it's whether it's secretive kinds of cloak and dagger things or even black operations that are illegal, they know that going into it. So why the hell should these two care about their obituaries? Right. 
And the Lithgow character says, if I touch that piece of paper, I know what my obituary is going to say. Um, but again, an interesting kind of a character. And he knows he's going to have to possibly hurt his two son figures. And his first, his first move there is to give Harper the phone number of a, a contractor, uh, contract killer, I guess is, I, I mean, they, they never say it out loud, but I guess that's what he does, um, of the name of Carson. And, uh, and that the incongruity of that character, I'm glad you mentioned that okay. because so many times we think of an assassin as somebody who's holed up in a room, you know, um, sharpening his knives and sighting in his sights, you know, but this guy is a nice guy who's got a grandma, right? He's on the phone talking to his grandma. He's sitting on a bench helping a girl get on a bus, right? And the whole incongruity of here, this guy's a hired assassin, but he's a nice guy. But it also goes back to Zoe when she talks about her situation. And here I may be getting ahead of myself when she talks about her failed marriage. And she ends up saying nobody sees themselves as the villain. Right? Here's this nice guy sitting on a bench who's an assassin, but he's a wonderful to his grandma. He's helping a girl on the bus. He doesn't, I don't think he sees himself as a villain. I don't think Bridges does. Uh, I don't think anybody, a lot, I don't think Boat necessarily does. So again, you know, because they think the ends justify the means, right? Even though there's blowback so many times, you know? With, as we saw, with arming the Mujahideen, that would blow back on us later with bin Laden, right? But um, these guys knew what they were getting into when they signed up. So that's what just made me a little, you know, little wondering about the vanity of those two worrying about their obituaries. Yeah, for sure. And when we get to the, when we get to the, wonderful plane conversation between Angela and Harper. Uh, I mean, I think ultimately the character arc for him is for, for him in, in a, in a dramatic sense is he needs to get over that and he needs to worry less about what, how history is going to view him and more about how she's going to view him and how yeah. his, his grandson is going to view him. Um, but also that and might- why not try to sell, why not try to salvage that? Maybe this is naive on my part, why not try to salvage his relationship with Chase? Maybe he can have his cake and eat it. That's what I keep naively thinking. Although I'm, it's probably a bridge too far. As you're probably right. You know, I keep thinking, I keep thinking that, you know, to, to truly, you know, worry about that, worry about those real connections with not only Angela, but even maybe Chase, you know, screw your obituary, you know, try to salvage Unless you, unless you can't, you know, we don't know necessarily what they're going to be up against, but that was going through my mind. It's like, screw the obituary. Just worry about your relationships, your friends, Angela, and maybe you can salvage Chase. But again, that may be naive. Right. The other- Cause they had so much, they had so much when they were young, the bonding. And as you said, it suggested too, that they had this open communication even though he was underground, Chase was underground, that they, they, for a while, they were keeping in touch with each other. 
Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the other main thing that's happening in, in episode two is uh, uh, Chase ends up falling in love with Zoe. And, uh, you know, I guess to a large extent, we don't need to talk about their relationship. It doesn't pertain to tradecraft, except maybe later, maybe by around episode five, it starts dribbling into that. Um, but I guess now is just the time to say any thoughts we feel we have to say about the relationship. I could just kind of quickly move on. Um, it's nicely. Let done. me just say this. Yeah, sure. Here's what I'll say about, about her. And I would have to, um, uh, pair her with Angela. Okay. I think here are these two hard men from the cold war who are running into these problems now and they're, they're going to find themselves and they already have leaning on these two women to help them solve problems in soft ways. Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially in the case of Zoe, but yeah, you're right. Also in the case of Angela. Yeah. You're yeah. so, you're so right. It's like, um, uh, I guess the, the, the women in the show challenge the, fierce kind of I gotta go it alone you know right. all of this responsibility is on my shoulders and that's something right. that's something my mom is always doing for me that I love her mm -hmm. for is there's time after time she's reminding me that like Todd you don't have to you don't have to do all this alone you do have a family you do you do have a mm -hmm. support you do have an army behind you <laughs> mm -hmm. and somebody just looking at not only the sport, but the, somebody's just looking at things differently. Yeah. Remember when they're in the, when they land, when Landis or when uh, go and Angela land and they're looking for the, the memorandum or whatever. And then Angela says, all right, here's what you're going to do. Right. She mm -hmm. lays out the plan without yeah. getting into the detail. She's already kind of like what Zoe did coming up with different ways of handling these problems with these two hard men. Very nice. Very so, nice. You know, um, I think we can get over into, I think we can slide over into episode three. Uh, and okay. that's, that's where I'll put our final spoiler warning because we're taking the, uh, we're taking the gloves off and I'll just say it. Angela is Emily. <laughs> <laughs> Angela is Emily. I respect the show for only keeping the secret this long um, because it seems to be the, about the right amount of time. So now it's time I get to talk about the fact that Alia Shakwat, in addition to being a really fantastic actor uh, in the moment in, in film scenes, she's really good on the phone too. That's you know, recently. just, uh, I've noticed. yeah. You just don't sound when like when she's in a situation where as an actor You're she only has her voice uh, to to convey emotion and what's going on and she's so mysterious. How about when she says put Zoe on the phone? How about when she tells her dad put Zoe on the phone? That was ballsy. That was ballsy. I was I'm not a huge fan of that one. I don't. I you know okay I mean okay when I say that I you know I have to separate my opinions between how much I'm enjoying the show and how much I like the tradecraft of the show it's just tradecraft wise I I didn't see the point there and just in general let me see did it did it make my final list of worst yeah it didn't I mean my number one worst tradecraft is Chase deciding 
you know, after Carson attacks him at her house, deciding that he needs to abduct her and bring her along. Um, it's really, really important for the story that it unfolds that way. It makes very close to zero sense to me as a tactical move. Your thoughts? That could be, but I looked at it as um, that he did it out of desperation, that he couldn't convince her on his own. And that's why he put her on, um, which again, foreshadowing how much she's going to help him in the future. And Zoe's going to help it. You know, these female, almost generational characters are going to help these two hard men look at things differently and solve problems differently. So I looked at it as, I get what you're saying, but I looked at it as out of desperation uh, that he put her on the phone. That's all. It may not be good tradecraft. It may not have been smart. And he, she even calls him on that, right? When she says, dad, what do you pick, you know, taking up with a girlfriend for even before all that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I like his response. So you could probably, you think about it. You could probably figure it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just uh, working through events wise. So Harper gets Carson's number from the painter and sends Carson after Chase. Now, Carson, apparently being better than the CIA at their job, sort of, uh, manages to catch up with, I mean, gets in a fight, uh, attempts to kill him at Zoe's house. Uh, once again, hasn't accounted for the dogs, which come become the X factor again that, that saves Chase. So people, people, when you see, when you see guys that, walk around with two Rottweilers Rottweilers around with them. Just keep in mind, those Rottweilers are going to be close by anytime you attack that man. Even if you don't yeah. see them right now, they're around. Um, yeah. And it's... Okay, now, of course, how did Carson know... Or no, how did... Yeah, wait. Well, it's sort of fishy. Like, uh, supposedly... Okay, what I'm what I want to unravel here is the steps that lead Harper to figuring out that his protege is Dan Chase's daughter Emily. Um, step number one is an interesting one because it's something that doesn't trigger his radar right away, but it's got to be something mm-hmm. he thinks about later. He puts her on the case of finding Emily. And she comes back and very convincingly reports to him, I found her. She's dead. Now this, to us, the audience, should be weird. Because we know Emily's not dead. Harper also can reasonably deduce that Emily is not dead based on his conversations with Chase. However, so for a while I was tingling like, wait a second, why isn't Harper immediately like bullshit? I you you're you're busted because I know she's not dead. But then I thought about it a little more and I realized that Harper knows that Chase is smart enough to have like faked his daughter's death. Yeah. Right? So yeah, right he wouldn't put it past him. Right. So right now it's not a problem, but later when he gets more information about, uh, you know, the fact that Angela might be a problem, that has got to be something he reaches back into his memory and, you know, considers as like, 
further what I call, yeah what i yeah accumulative incubation effect Ooh, i like right? it look at the yeah. big brain on the on the history professor over here <laughs> <laughs> well so many times i have that um that my brain will be working on something and then it you know songwriters talk about that novelists talk about that you know they don't know where it came from but their brain was subliminally working on it uh for a long time i worked in software qa and I'm definitely the kind of person that would uh, suddenly, you know, so my, my task is to figure out why are problems happening in software. And mm -hmm. some of them are very easy to figure out. Some of them take you months. Some of them you never figure out, you know, but it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's detective work. And uh, yeah. so many times I'll just, I'll just be in the shower, not even, not even realizing that I'm thinking mm -hmm about this one yeah. bug that's been escaped and suddenly out of the blue i'm like i know why it crashes when you when you try to sign in with a second profile yep. or something boom i think there's something they call that the incubation effect the whole idea that your brain is subliminally working on a problem and uh you don't know it but until it hits you okay. i think there's something to that very cool now harper's first big clue that he gets that he's got a leak in his organization is when after Carson fails to kill chase Carson calls him and says, Hey, listen, that guy knew I was coming. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cause I'm too good. Right. For him. Oh yeah. I mean, spring. Yeah. Let's not even talk about Carson's fucking ego. <laughs> yeah. He yeah. He definitely thinks his shit doesn't stink. Um, well, none of those guys do. Those those guys that first attacked him, they don't realize that he this guy is a Kaiser Soze, even though he's an old man. <laughs> yeah. Right? So this legend they created, right? What was that? Uh, uh, how did it go? That legend, oh, they, oh, the, the beast. Oh, right. Baja, there's, you know, Baja Korkor, right? So you talk about, you talk about spycraft, right? That creating a legend in the spy world is psyops, right? Ooh. I mean, most of the time they're not true, right? A la Kaiser Jose, right? They create these legends to put fear into the peasants or whoever they're doing the counterinsurgency on. In this case, the Kaiser Jose was real and right. was formidable and doing all these things. Right. So I thought that was interesting too. So, but let me, let me, let me run through this. Like, okay. So again, Carson, like you said, like, there's no, there's no way he could have known I was coming. Cause I fucked up. So it must be something you did wrong. Like, uh, because he says this guy was ready to jam now. And then, and okay. So, and then Harper takes that from him as like, oh, okay. You know, cause Carson says, is there anyone that could be a problem in your organization? Here's my problems with this, if I if I think it through. And, you know, I apologize. I I like to ruin things, you know? Like, even I can appreciate this show at a very high level of just audience appreciation, but I can also be hypercritical, I think, when it's necessary of shit like this. First, yeah. first of all, Chase, what... Well, the idea that Angela warned chase about Carson does not make sense for multiple reasons. Number one, he didn't, we didn't see it. Number two, 
he didn't need that information that uh harper had sent a contract killer after him in in order to be like ready to boogie he's ready to boogie because of the traffic stop with the police the previous night and the guy with the silencer at his home and the two other guys that try to kill him right 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 and then lastly Angela can't be the reason that Chase is is getting ready to book right now because there's no fucking way that Harper told well is oh shit maybe there is I was about to say there's no fucking way that Harper told Angela that he had hired the contract killer to go after Chase but now okay. now that I said it out loud I just remembered the thing you're about to remind me of right which is when in the, the conversation on the plane. She, she, when he, so she does know about it. Yeah. She said, right, when, when he says you're a criminal, and she said, oh, yeah? Takes one to know one. Who's the one that hired the assassin on my father before the SWAT team got there? Okay. Right? Well, in that case, my minus spy points are going to Harper for letting Angela... <laughs> to Harper for letting Angela Good have pivot. that information. Nice pivot, Todd. Somebody... Very somebody... Good. Fuck... I all I can all yeah. I know is somebody fucked up in this situation, <laughs> right? And right. sometimes it's the characters. We're going to find out. Sometimes we're going to find out so much more. Yeah, we're going to find out so much more as it goes on. Oh my god, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, that's the first thing I'm going to do after we finish this recording. Obviously, is I'm going to go watch the uh, um, sixth episode. Yeah, you know, um, with your uh, California time, I could see that, but <laughs> with me. As much as I want to say, I'm going to wait till tomorrow. All right. All right. Um, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned before so, uh, that it's Angela's help that Harper figures out that that Waters is Hamzad's man. Also, I never quite, I don't quite get this. Like, everyone just there, seems to take it on faith that this Afghani warlord can, like, push the CIA around in this way. Like, I don't care how mm -hmm. rich he is. Maybe if it was a Saudi... I could see Which it. makes me come, yeah, but that makes me keep coming back to what's the controversy? Everything's out about our involvement over there, unless it's something that, you know, more personal or something they manufacture, because I pretty much know the history of what went on there and the controversy and the politics and the blowback with bin Laden. So I keep wondering what it is, but maybe that's the mystery, you know? Also, you know, Hamzad is portrayed as this kind of oligarch character in Afghanistan. And I don't, I've never heard any evidence that those kind of people exist. I don't think Afghanistan is known for their having a hyper rich upper class and, that can yeah, act unless impunity they, just no, because they, of their billions of dollars. Yeah. Unless they accumulated it somehow after the, after the Russians left. I don't know. Yeah. I yeah. I, I, yeah. Um, so there's more there's more to go on uh with with Angela uh Harper's path towards figuring out that Angela is a mole. Um I'm going to cue you on the scene when they're uh her and Raymond her Raymond and Harper are all having like a conversation about it and they're getting too close to a situation that Angela doesn't want a path Angela doesn't want them to go down. Can you talk about that? She says, stop it. She says, stop it when the mother's name is mentioned, right? 
when it, Harper is explaining to Waters all about Hamza and his wife and said it's got to be more than that. It might be regarded and, as a fuck up on her yeah. part. And that comes back later, too. Well, I don't think it's there. I think it's when the lawyer's there. When she says, you mentioned the name of my mother just to get a reaction. That's later. And I, that's when that's when when she comes up with your favorite line. Can you imagine what that would feel like if I if I sharpened Chip's name and used it to cut you open just to see what came out? Yeah. That was the best in the whole. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How would you like? Because he has a dead. Uh, he has a dead son. Um, yeah. and uh, you know she's been she's been she's been close to the family for a long time. There's a there's a, a one point where he says you haven't been to the house since it happened. Um, and she has a relationship with his grandson. Oh yeah, that's true as well. Right, right. So she's her her uh, relationship with him isn't just purely professional. But uh, yeah, yeah. She turns turns on him and says, "How would you like it if I had used your son as a weapon to cut you open just to see what would fucking fall out?" Mm-hmm. That is, yeah, possibly my favorite best line in a spy movie in what I think might be the best scene I've ever seen in the spy movie after all. And that's saying a lot for you of uh, after all these years of doing this show, that, that line might get the prize. That scene might get the prize. It's and makes up for all (laughs) makes up for all those sloppy tradecraft mistakes, right? More than when you go that far, more than makes up for it. You know, there's a reason you know, I keep my uh, my rating of the movie separate in in terms of uh, uh, stars. Uh, we give it one to five stars, and we give it one to five park benches. Because there's movies that I can see that I I totally love, and I can say the the this is absolutely unrealistic garbage, but I love it. Um, yeah, and, and then there's yeah. movies that I can think of where everything was extremely realistic, and I thought it was kind of boring. So you know, it's just two two metrics that we keep track of here on the show. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so when she says "stop it," just like that, that does seem like a fuck up. Like she's let her emotions get out of control, but she covers it over. She smooths it over. Yeah. Um. But when she says, when she suggests that the three of them should combine forces. I thought it was more like when, like he's, he's querying her. He's like, why do you keep bringing up Chase's wife? Like, yeah. Cause I guess, cause Harper knows that Chase's wife is important to this story. But as far as he knows, nobody else does. Like nobody knows who Abby is. But obviously mm-hmm. he does. So anybody that is asking questions about Abby, he's got to be wondering why. And mm-hmm. that's sharp on him. Which, yeah. Right. But it's also mm-hmm. sharp on her on how she covers it over. I think, what does she say? Something about like, you have to, you have to think about Chase. Something about, you have to think about what is the character of the kind of woman that would follow him into this kind of super hidden life or something like that. Somebody see who sees the cracks and things we find out later. Right. Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, it's in it's in episode three. Something something changes on Harper's face right at that moment, and so I think that's where I think that's uh, Lithgow letting us know subtly as the audience that he's 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 putting two and two together. He hasn't quite decided <laughs> mm-hmm. how much it adds up to it. Um, but now that they're thinking that uh, now that it's kind of out in the open and they're working together on the idea that Hamzad might be involved. Um, shoot. I just, I just, I just missed a step. Uh, oh, so now he's going to try to get in, in touch with Hamzad and he does mm-hmm. that through uh, his lawyer uh, there was this thing that I, I wrote, it, this was, I copied from someone's review. Cause you said Harper notices Angela's reaction when Chase's wife is mentioned. So he's doing mm-hmm. two things at once here. He's trying to prosecute his own plans. But he's also trying to suss out Angela and you're right. This is when he figures it out. But, uh, mm-hmm. for some reason I, I typed this, I'm just going to read it and I'm sure it'll, uh, there'll be a reason I put this in This is from someone else's review. Nina is careful with what she says about what Hamzad wants, but Harold fires an arrow in the dark. In the best moment of the series till now, we see Harold indirectly reveal to Angela secrets about Dan that he didn't want to share with her. Harold uses one stone to target two birds. Just like I said, um, the same things. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, Mm -hmm. so what else we got? They're gonna Hamzad Hamzad is convinced, or or at least I mean, sort of. He's being really sneaky about this and saying like, if you want to continue this conversation, you're just gonna get on a plane, not know where it's going, blah blah. Um, we're gonna find out in episode five what he wants is for Harper to pick up the trail where Hamzad lost his wife. This is where mm-hmm. I guess we'll have to mention this about Afghanistan even though we'll get into the the nitty gritty of the other stuff here. Um, I think if I'm not mistaken, by now in the series, we have figured out that Chase got in tight with a certain Afghan warlord of prominence, someone that possibly could have been become the next leader of Afghanistan. And at the end of the day, Chase and that guy's wife ran off together. And that's what Hamzad wants. He wants Chase's head as revenge for that. He's never forgotten over all these years. Um, and that, interestingly, I remember I was typing to you because there was one thing I noticed in the at one of one of the intro Afghani scenes is uh, there's a bookshelf and Lamort de Arthur is featured prominently. And I, I, for one thing, it stuck out to me for two reasons. For one thing. If you look really closely, you can see I got my copy right up there, right between Wonder Woman and the Taco Bell dog. <laughs> uh, I have I have read it a bunch. I'm a big Arthur nerd. So anytime I see that, it's going to... But I still... I really looked at the bookshelf and I said, no, this is out there prominently. And I was trying to figure out, like, what what's the significance here? And, like, when it struck me, I realized it's just... It was so... Like I hadn't been able to see the forest for the trees kind of thing. I was overthinking it. 
It's there. That was, it's there because there was no coincidence that it was there. It's there because basically Hamzad is Arthur, Abby is Guinevere, and Chase is Lancelot, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then the M21 rifles or the SAM <laughs> missiles are Excalibur. Right. To take it to its furthest extension. Logical. Well, it's that was what I think of too is remember in Apocalypse Now when they're in Kurtz's lair and they're going through the shadows and you see the book, The Golden Bow by the bed. When you talked about a, a book being obviously placed there in Apocalypse Now, when we're in Kurtz's lair, you see the book, The Golden Bow. And that's all about when like kings, when people, you know, when um, native people lay down their allegiance to someone who's going to be a powerful leader kind of a thing that came out in Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness. You know, Apocalypse Now was just a reworking of that, Mm -hmm. as you probably know, and just rather than be colonial Africa, Coppola reset it in Cambodia and Vietnam. So in Kurtz's lair, there's this book called The Golden Bow, and it's in reference to the kind of situation Kurtz has set up there um, with the Hmong tribesmen that think he's God, that they think he's a God. So that was just a little aside. Okay. You mentioned the book of, uh, of Arthur being, being put there on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so Fred, I do see, and I mean, we've, you know, we can't help ourselves. We keep talking about this plain conversation, uh, with, with Angela and Harper, I guess I did want to talk about it in a little more detail. Cause I think there's some other things we want to point out about that one. Um, but, uh, the first thing I'm going to say is, well, the first thing I'm going to say is, you know, Harper knows that Angela is Emily before he gets on that plane. So why is he taking her on the plane? Questionable. Very questionable. Wouldn't mm-hmm. you agree? Mm-hmm. If he, mm-hmm. if he, yeah. if he is going to take her on the plane. Now I understand. And again, I don't want to just keep repeating myself. This is a story about personal drama more than it is about tradecraft. But if you are going to bring her on the plane, why are you giving her the silent treatment? As as right. she mentions, you know, they've been in the air for like, what, two and a half hours. They haven't said a word. Um, maybe because maybe because the ex- the nature of the things that they're going to be talking about are so explosive. And the other thing about why you're taking her on the plane, I think in some way he knows he's going to need her. Too. So, yeah, I think it's more just the writers wanted us to have this scene. Yeah. And it's, it's, it could be, it's a great scene, but may I just say that a better spy, a a more clear minded spy would have kept up appearances instead of, you know, uh, basically like, you know, throwing kind of a, it's not a tantrum, but what is it? Like he's, he's being, emotional very emotional okay but maybe okay to play the devil's advocate when they get off that plane they're going to be in they're going to be in literal behind enemy lines and they're going to need each other so maybe maybe it's important to get that all that shit out now because (laughs) they're going to need each other when they get in right 
Okay, you know? well, my my devil's advocate to your devil's advocate is, um, I mean, because they should be, you know, like you said, they're they are going to be behind enemy lines. Like, if if this weird family drama wasn't happening behind the scenes, like they should be working fiercely on figuring out sharing with each other contingency plans and we're going to do this and sharing information, you Mm -hmm. know, they should be aggressively planning this thing. So the fact that he's not very clearly communicates to her that, you know, things are not well. Um, And that's maybe, I mean, my, my soup, my ultimate devil's advocate is maybe he's smart enough to know that she needs to be the one to start the conversation and that he's willing to wait the couple hours. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I, Cause how do you bring up something like that anyway, even if he wanted to, but once it's, once it's out, once the blood is in yeah. the water, what happens? Yeah. You, right. you mentioned, I see in your notes, you know, you relate the impossibility of her situation, basically choosing between two fathers. She's got, the the father that she's not allowed to see you know and 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 is on the run and she probably hasn't seen in seen in well i don't know how old she's supposed to be but let's say a decade possibly and the father figure of her cover identity of of angela and uh, just reading off your notes here, you know, like that's that's an impossible situation. You're both a part of who I am. And um, yeah, Harper is a weirdly kind of a dick about this. You know, when he says like, let's try, let's just try to make it simple. Like, take me to him or how should I address you? Yeah, that was kind of flippant. Yeah, that was pretty flippant. When you consider all the heavy shit that just... They just discussed. It makes for great. And she says it makes for great drama, but it undermines it undermines our my appreciation of him as like a mastermind. Well, that goes back to the the obituary again, because she says, what difference does it make? It's a name. And he comes back and says, a name is important because it's the flag we plant in the ground, which goes back to the vanity of he and Bo worried about their legacy and their obituary, right? Mm-hmm. There's that theme again. Yeah, 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 for sure. And this is where I think it's really, like where I really start getting the feeling like that's going to have to be the end of his character arc. That's the only satisfying path is he's going to have to decide, fuck the obituary. Uh, I care mm-hmm. more about what you think of me than, yeah. than about history's how history is going to judge me. And, you know, pursuant to that, his grandson is going to grow up possibly without Harper around to be able to explain to his grandson, like, you know, this stuff you heard about his granddad, but maybe if Angela understands, Angela will be there to, to tell his grandson. Plus it was the cold war. I mean, there was a lot of fucked up things that happened in the cold war and justifying the means kind of a thing. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Do you think, do you think Kim Philby had kids? <laughs> yeah, but he's like the ultimate, you know. I mean, you can't make stuff up. That story. <laughs> I mean, that was that was tr- John Lacar, you know. I mean, that that story you just can't make up was incredible. 
So what turns out to have happened here is that Hamzad's brought them to, again, like have Harper pick up the trail or something. I, I Obviously, I mean, Hamzad's win condition is to get his hands on Chase. Uh, Harper's win condition is for nobody to get their hands on Chase. Or he obviously might not even mind if Chase just died. Uh, but now, of course, that card is kind of taken away from him because now if he kills Chase... He loses Angela. So his mm-hmm. his his hand of cards has has changed. Yeah. It's definitely altered. Yeah. Um the way Hamzad goes about this is kind of weird. They just dump them into a records uh basement of some kind. Yeah. Uh and leave it to Harper to figure out like why why he's there and what he's looking for. And uh ultimately he he figures out like, oh, because cause he knows this is the airport, this is the last place. Chase and Abby were seen before Hamzad lost the trail. Maybe I'm the per well, I'm the person that put him on that plane, you know, and it was like all done. And he's super- gradually getting he's gradually getting scared too. Yeah, that's true. You can see he's he's gradually, and when he gets keeps on the phone, like, what do you want of me? You know? Mm-hmm. And uh you can feel it in his voice. He's getting he's running scared. But he gets the he figures out the information. They they want the 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 flight and the two Manifest. seats right the two seats yeah. like where were chase and abby whatever their names were that they were using that day yeah. uh what seats were they in and then they tell him like okay uh you're fucked we're still gonna publish the dossier that tells the world all about the super crime that you committed which again we don't know what it was yet right um this is the part, like you said, like where, yeah, he's he's getting afraid, but Angela steps in and she says, yeah, you were, you were in a- Duped by your government. Yeah. Yeah. She tells the whole story. She figures the whole thing First out. he says, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. He goes, this is, she said, this is basically going to be your story. Right. Uh, you were afraid, you were duped by your own government, um, blah, blah, blah. What's genius about this and makes it my number one best tradecraft of the story so far is that this story that Angela pitches him, it will work. It'll satisfy his win condition. But the only problem with her plan is that if Hamzad is still alive to tell his counter narrative, then it won't work. That That's why she wants... To kill Hamzad. That's her. Well, that's her win condition is for Hamzad to die. So her dad can be safe. So by doing this, it's so delicious. She's basically, she's marrying his win condition to hers. She's saying, mm-hmm. I can help. Yeah. I can help you. But the only way that I can help you is for you to help me. Um, mm-hmm. I love it. My number one best tradecraft. Here is my problem with it. My big problem with it. Let me see if it made my best and worst. It was close. Nope. Didn't make my worst, but it was definitely in contention. Hamzad, you need to bug this place. You need to be listening in on this these conversations. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's really, it's really dumb of him not to, don't you agree? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then given that, we get into one of these situations where I also have to give the minus five points to Angela. Because whether or not Hamzad bugged 
this place where they're at, she should have assumed that he did. And the fact that she speaks so openly about this plan uh, in this in this right. circumstance. Um, that he should have eavesdropped on. Right. Yeah, he absolutely should have. Um, we're going to we're going to get some a final scene with the painter here where, uh, uh, again, like you said, now he's going to meet with Carson. He's going to reveal the astounding dun, 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 piece of information that it's him, the painter that planted Angela as a mole in Harper's outfit. Still don't understand. Which what, is per- yeah. That's tradecraft, right? Sure. We, yeah. we just still, we, we just don't know why yet. Right. Um, and then, and then now Fred, I can take you off the leash and, and you can tell us all about, let's, let's talk about Afghanistan and let's uh, get our ratings out and close this up. Well, I don't know. I mean, most people know what happened. Um, the, uh, with like Charlie Wilson's war, there's a great opening scene in Tom Clancy's book, The Cardinal of the Kremlin, with a character, he's a Mujahideen, young character, known as the Archer, right? And he has the arrow, which was this shoulder-held surface-to-air missile that he takes out the hind helicopters with that were ravaging the Mujahideen up until this point. Charlie Wilson's war talks about that. The whole movie's about this guy wanting to hurt the Soviets by arming the Mujahideen with these surface-to-air missiles. And I can't, for the life of me, understand why they have it, unless they're going to come later or these M21 rifles are going to be a stand-in for the SAM surface-to-air missiles. But they would be, they would tip the balance for the Russians eventually leaving um, the shoulder-held surface-to-air missiles um, for why they would leave their, that was their Vietnam. Um, Now, the whole army of going back to coin counterinsurgency, we always seem to be arming the wrong horse. Like when Chase was so adamant to Harper by saying, he's a good guy, you know? In other words, I want to get weapons to him. He's a good guy. Well, so many times the people we are we arm aren't good guys. And later, Hamzad's wife says, hey, she's playing the double agent here, right? Arming the Russians against his rivals. And she even admits he won't be able to handle the power because he'll be they'll make him king. Are you there? Yeah. Okay. I didn't know if I froze up again. You were still. <laughs> Sorry. So it couldn't be, it doesn't even have to be as personable as Hamza, just anybody with that much power. So they brought it that in too. Um, that uh, That's pretty much the history. And then there's the, many years later, there's a blowback with Bin Laden, right? Uh, yeah, Pulling yeah. Back it's, with 9-11. There's always, I mean, there's always like another, like every, I don't know how to put it's it. It's like, like if you squeeze a balloon on one end, it comes out the other. And the, and the CIA uses the term blowback. Right. The problems don't, the problems don't go away. You know, you, you just cover no. them over and you. Many, 
And many times we make them worse. And many times the horse we back is not legitimate and does not have the backing of the people, and which causes so much resentment. And like I say, the counterinsurgency, right, is supposed to be tradecraft, right, where we back a certain guerrilla leader. And yet we always say, whether it's in Vietnam or Afghanistan, Beware of mission creep. We're not doing mission creep here because I mean, we don't want to get into nation building, right? I don't want to say and it's, it's like the. I don't want to say it's unique to American arrogance, but it's definitely emblematic that uh, our arrogance in thinking that we can correctly pick our allies of convenience in the moment with with clarity. Uh, well, we've we've demonstrated let's, let's look time, at a few and time ex- again that we cannot do that. Yeah, let's look at a few examples. Somoza in Nicaragua, mm-hmm. right? Arbenz, Arbenez in Guatemala, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we overthrew Salvador Allende in Chile, who was democratically re-elect- elected. We and the British overthrew Mohammed Mossadegh in Iran in 1954, who was democratically elected, right? Um, Diem was in Vietnam was a corrupt Catholic in a Buddhist nation where Ho Chi Minh was a folk hero. And we wondered why that didn't work or he didn't have legitimacy. Backing the Shah in Iran. Backing the Shah because that's it. When when we overthrew Mossadegh, the two generations of Shahs came in, which were brutal dictatorships. And then why do they hate us? You know, like, and then when they had that revolution in the 79, with Khomeini, you know, we wondered why there was so much hatred there because we overthrew Mossadegh in 54 and put the Shah on the peacock throne. So we have this history of meddling and putting these tin pot dictators and guerrilla leaders um, sometimes at the expense of a democratically elected leader. And we wonder why there's blowback. Right. Well, let's tie it in. Let's tie it into the the, the events of of Chase and Abby's and Ham, Hamzad's story. Um, as a younger man, Chase was tasked, you know, le, uh, you know, le, legitimately. I want to put in quotes a little bit because he is going to go off the off the reservation. Uh, but you know, seems like he was legitimately tasked to operate in Afghanistan. Uh, under the CIA and just maybe like, uh, you know, get to know some of the warlords, you know, like that are fighting against the Russians because we're just using it as a proxy war against the Russians. And he went a little above and beyond there. He started to not only be like helping them maybe with information and tactics, but also like squeezing Harper again, like you said, to, to get them these weapons, you know, and that's where that, right, that, if I stop you, that's where the Lawrence of Arabia analogy comes in. Uh, Boat even mentions that. He said, Chase wants to be Lawrence of Arabia and you wanted to be a cop, right? <laughs> so, because um, in Lawrence of Arabia, Lawrence goes kind of native and helps those Bedouin tribes against the Turks, right? Mm-hmm. And sort of against the wishes of the British, but he's effective. He goes rogue. And uh, then you have Chase kind of doing the same thing, going rogue, going native with this Afghan 
tribe or warlord. And uh, it's no coincidence that they mentioned Lawrence of Arabia. You're right. You're right. Yeah, you're the one that, that drew that parallel. I applaud you for that. Um, Hamzad is getting... Let's see. What's the GRU officer's crime against Hamzad? I don't... Maybe he's doing... Uh, he's doing... Let's see. I'm going to read from your notes. There's um, Abby tells the story of... Yeah, okay. You... Go ahead. I don't think we need to back up. Russians attacked them. Right. Something like in response, Chase tells them the story of when he was in Vietnam, how the North Vietnamese would snatch. Yeah. One of his men in the night without anyone knowing. Oh, okay. He suggests they do something similar to the Russians. So, right. So, why does a, why does why, sump- why does why does Hamzad? I know like the result of this is that Chase goes out, grabs this GRU guy, and deposits him on Hamzad's doorstep, kind of like a cat bringing you a mouse as a, a sign yeah. of respect. And I like that. But what I missed was maybe you can color this in. Why was this particular mouse such a an important gift to Hamzad? Well. When we see them, when we see him approach the camp, he kills, they both kill a few people, right? There's he, and was it Hamzad's daughter or was it Hamzad's wife who was also killing um, Russians in the door doorway there? Who was the Afghan woman who was also killing some Russian guards? That might have, who was that? That might have squeaked past me. I was hoping to relate. Because they were on horseback on, on the way. Remember they were on horseback and so- it wasn't Hamzad's wife. I thought it maybe was his daughter. Very well, could, right? If, on their way. Yeah. Okay. So let me. Here's the hi- historical nerd in me. Okay. All right. I think the plan, because he does talk about the Asha Valley in Vietnam, where the North Vietnamese snatch one of their men out in the middle of the night and they don't realize. And he's like, we need to fight fire with fire and do the same thing. That was a nod, I think, to the CIA's Phoenix program. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but it was a notorious program that the CIA staged where they targeted who they thought were Viet Cong and and assassinated them. Okay, it was very controversial because what happened is they targeted a lot of the wrong people. It turned out a lot of the South Vietnamese would just give them names of people that they were in disputes and feuds with and they'd end up on this assassin list. So anyway, the Phoenix program was a, was a program kind of like what Chase is describing um, that they should do to fight fire with fire. When he said that the North Vietnamese did that. And now he's saying the GRU, what's the GRU doing in here? Like when they snatched the way, the way they attacked the people that Hamzad's wife were with, he said that kind of smelled of, a different kind of warfare, GRU intelligence, mm-hmm. which made him think of Vietnam and what was it, the Phoenix what, program. What was it that the GRU did? That, that They were army intelligence. That's Russian army intelligence. I, so that's, I know, that's him saying that- I know who they are. That this is beyond- I, I know who they are, but what did they do that, do you remember- that's what. I, that's the only thing I, I really can't remember is what did they do um, that made that made Hamzad so mad at them and that Chase said, 
after Hamzad told Chase about it, whatever it was, that Chase was like, you know what? That's the, the fucking GRU. The wife, it was the wife that came back and told about the attack, wasn't it? When she came back in, she was telling him about the attack. The wife? You mean Abby? Do, do you mean Abby? Yeah. What was the attack? Wasn't that? What was the attack? She came in, remember, all sort of um, tail between her leg and everything, because she had just suffered an attack by the Russians. Okay. Didn't remember she came in the door? I don't remember. And, that, and that's when they had that discussion? I don't remember. That's what I'm asking about. All right. And the way she, uh, from what I took, the way she described that attack, it sounded like they were like snatch, snatch, snatching people, kidnapping people. And that's what made, the way she described it, that's what made Chase think of the Vietnam and then let's fight fire with fire. Let's kind of do something similar and snatch them. Right. So what, and, and what he does uh, is I, I think a plottable tradecraft. I mean, it, it demonstrates his capabilities. It demonstrates his commitment. It definitely like should earn him a lot of points uh, with Hamzad's respect. I think he also did it. Well, I mean, I'm, I might be using hindsight on this, but I think it's like, I mean, he just drops the GRU officer on Hamzad's doorstep pretty, you know, in a manner of speaking, how Hamzad treats that guy tells Hamzad's wife, Abby, a lot that she didn't previously know about Hamzad because they're not nice to that guy. I think they tear him to pieces. Uh, his name was Pavlovich, wasn't it? That I see that in your notes. And spoiler alert, he ends up somewhere else. No. In this story? I think he's an officer, which is why they snatch him. Uh-huh. And I thought his name was Pavlovich, right? Yeah. And and we don't know why or how, but isn't Pavlovich the monkey monk in the mineralogy company that in the future, he has to try to get the attention of for help. I'll say that's crazy if true, but... Uh... Yep, I know. that's. I have that down as my third or worst tradecraft. For him to... Let me see how I wrote it. Yeah, for Chase to go through the elaborate me- means of making an equity investment in the metallurgy company on the off chance he gets the attention of the director general, Pavlovich, who might be able to help him with Hamzad. And I'm thinking that was the Russian. I don't know how he's going to get there, but I thought that's the same Russian that they abduct and, and don't torture and tear into pieces. Okay. Okay. I'm, oh, oh, you're right. Oh, hold on. I'm reading Google right now. That was a turning point in their life. In the present, we learn he is still alive and part of, oh my God, you're right. He's still alive and part of Dan Chase's plan. So we don't know how the hell that happens. Works primarily from behind the scenes to run several billion dollar businesses. Maybe this is something we're not supposed to know yet. How did you know? Or you just recognized the name? I recognize the name, but I also read uh, synopsis like you're just reading now. Okay. All right. Maybe, so I, maybe that's something that'll get colored in more in uh, in in episodes. Yeah, but six. right. That's crazy yeah, to think about. You, yeah, it has to be colored in because they do mention Pavlovich when he's abducted and also with the in the metallurgy company. And Hamzad tortured Pavlovich 
So that's why Pavlovich is a confirmed mm-hmm. enemy of my enemy is my friend. Right. Hopefully he doesn't know it's Which, Dan Chase is the one that grabbed him in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Because how is he going to help him in that case? He's going to be like. Well, who knows what kind of relationship they had afterwards and whatever. But yeah, yeah. that's. I thought I put that down as my third craziest sure. uh, tradecraft. And we're about to run those down. The last thing we need to talk about in Afghanistan is just to underline that uh, Abby, again, not her name at the time, uh, admits to Dan Chase that she is actually a double agent for the Russians. Um, and she's, you actually have the best notes on that. Can you explain that to us real quick? And then we'll go to debriefing. Um because she feels that not so much to help the Russians, but to help the Russians weaken Hamzad's rivals. So that when the Russians do leave, he'll emerge as the one with the most power, which she doesn't think he'll be able to handle anyway. And she also tells Chase about the valuable mineral deposits that the Russians know of, but don't know where it is so is this how somehow this has got to tie to how Pavlovich after escaping mm-hmm. or after made his war- fortune. Yes. Made his fortune. Made it. Wow. Yeah. Because I've, that is true that I have heard there's a lot of rare earth in those Afghanistan mountains, which makes you wonder too, if that's what the Russians were concerned with and maybe our interest there um, as well. Um, who knows? It's such, dude. It's such a crazy country. It it the 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 reason for conflicts going on in Afghanistan over the centuries is is just so complex. I love the fact, uh, you know, in Risk, uh, which is a, a you know, I'm a big board game war gamer. I play a lot of Risk. Uh, in Risk, like Afghanistan is so hard to ignore in that part of the map. Um, just because it has bor- like Af- the Afghanistan country, you know, the borders in risk are like kind of uh, twisted around a little just to reflect their strategic importance. And I think uh, in at least the last version of risk I played, like Afghanistan borders nine other countries. <laughs> it's a major crossroads. And, um, yeah. and I've always been fascinated with the country. Uh, my understanding, do you know who the, do you know there's only one person there's only one person that ever invade successfully invaded Afghanistan and didn't get stuck there for decades. Was it Alexander the Great? It was Alexander the fucking Great. And the reason mm-hmm. he didn't get stuck there for decades is cuz he left immediately. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. He there is a letter to his I forget if it's his mother or his wife but Alexander described the Afghani people as every single one of them was an Alexander the Great. That's how much respect he had for their fighting spirit. Mm-hmm. And he knew there's no way I can hold this country. <laughs> and that's right. That's the last and time anybody British, fucked with Afghanistan and didn't get bit. Right. <laughs> British, the British were chased out of the, mm-hmm. the Khyber Pass. And yeah. Agents, please report for debriefing on this operation. The director will see you now. Well, it should be no secret to listeners by now. I love this show. I really do. Um, 
it's you know my star rating is always it's i'm not a professional movie critic i'm not going to try to give it a rating that i think like should go out to the general audience this is just if you know todd if you know me if you listen to the show or you know me personally you know my tastes you take my star rating with a grain of salt you know one thing about todd you know he loves science fiction it's very hard to get a five out of todd if it's not science fiction i'm gonna land on a four here um very with with oh my god it's got moments of five it's got moments of five star and all of those are the alia shock shock scenes if everyone was functioning at her level this might be a 4.5 or a five um but i'm 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 happy with the four how about you fred yes i agree give it a little color <laughs> I but I I love it because it's based on history, right? It's based on real time intelligence, and like I say, it's got everything from the psyops to um, the arms delivery to the propping up warlords to a lot of the historical mistakes we've made in the past. Uh, it's got mystery. It's got the whole idea of the metallurgy in the mountains, which hasn't been written about too much, but it's true. Um, the focus on personal drama is very good. Yep. Yeah. Especially, yep. especially in a spy story. And I like the fact you mentioned all of that might pertain more to the park bench rating, but it is true. You have a good point that even though this show is completely fictional, nothing in it contradicts anything that we know from the historical record. All of this right. could have happened. Yeah. Except for a couple of things. I keep wondering if those M21 sniper rifles are a stand-in for the SAM missiles that are, that would really tip the balance that we introduced. They, and They uh, just need to bring Rambo along. Yeah. and uh, Which is why... I, I wonder. I wondered why they shy away from that. And uh, it's true of all the controversies with that. What the? I keep wondering what the hell is the controversy, unless it's more of a personal thing between Hobbsod and. It's Lister. true, and I want to point out that you know, as much as you've been talking about the hind helicopters, we haven't seen a single helicopter in any of the. No. Uh, flashbacks. No, and maybe it, that just wasn't. No, and those maybe things, that just wasn't in the budget. You know. <laughs> well, they could have discussed it at least. Sure. Yeah, that's that's you know, the way to do it. M, I mean, M twenty one sniper rifles of a thousand yards is a pretty cool weapon, especially in the mountains. But it ain't the the surface to air missiles that would truly tip the balance. I know I sound like a broken record, <laughs> but I keep wondering why they don't they haven't fit that in. Yeah, we'll find out. We'll find out. There's still some maybe episodes, they there's still some episodes to come. I think we're supposed to get nine. Yeah, is it nine or okay. seven? I don't know. Okay. Um, my worst tradecraft of the film, uh, which I've talked about before, but I'll, I'll summarize again, cell phone usage and capabilities in general. I'm not an expert on what we can or can't do, but I think I know enough that I could call bullshit on some of the stuff we see here. I'm annoyed at the fact that like the very first, just a simple conversation with his daughter, he immediately like microwaves his cell phone, which makes it seem like we're going to be real careful with cell phones 
And then for the rest of the show, people just talk on their cell phones like anytime they want and don't seem to worry about being monitored really at all. My number two. Mm -hmm. My number two is the part where, uh, even though it's a great scene, the part where Chase throws down the gauntlet and says, do you recognize me now? And lets his pursuers know that he knows that Harper is involved in the situation. There's a lot, there's a lot wrong with that. Number one, worst tradecraft. Again, it's something that I am. I wouldn't want them to change because it's very important to the story, but plot wise, tradecraft wise, bringing Zoe along is just horrible, bad decision. Mm-hmm. it's 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 awful how about you you got some worst worst no i think i mentioned most of them um the big trade craft is probably more of a realistic foreign policy the whole idea of counterinsurgency and uh chase saying this guy is a good guy which is a mistake that we make over and over again and in fact the, the guys that we supported in the northern Ireland's northern alliance weren't necessarily the good guys of the different sects. And um, they did not have the legitimacy or the following of the Afghan people. You had that as your, num- so, you had that as your number one worst. I'm looking at your notes right now. I can remind you, I can remind yeah. you. Uh, Cause I'm looking at them right now. Uh, your number three worst had to do with the equity investment. Right. I thought that was a big leap for him to put so much on that, to get, and that was only to get his attention, right, for of Pavlovich mm-hmm. to make that investment. So I thought that was just a big leaf of faith. Now, maybe that was part of his desperation. Um, I kind of – You know, so that maybe – so that maybe, just maybe, he'd help. I kind of like that kind of thing. I like it in spy stories where, you know, like you can't call someone directly, but you can like – like kind of send up a flare you can you can do something that creates a a big enough blip on the radar that you know the right person will will notice notice it yeah yeah so i i'll just you know but it's okay we can we can you know we don't have to be and again my mine are are more holistic yeah mine are more sort of holistic uh macro in nature with i keep conflating what the reality with with this piece of fiction mm-hmm. right sure. i keep looking at what really happened and uh i just can't help myself with that uh your number two worst what had to do with the phoenix program yeah that whole idea of snatching um prisoners and killing them in the dark of night um which Chase Reel sort of relates to when he was in Vietnam in the Ashaw program mm-hmm. and um, now, how we should fight fire with fire and do something similar. It's, um, it seems to because, have worked out for him. Why do you think this is bad tradecraft? Uh, I guess, and I probably shouldn't do this, but I'm also conflating um, what the Phoenix program was in real life, how they got a lot of the wrong people. Uh, they targeted a lot of the wrong people. They assassinated a lot of the wrong oh, I people. See. I see. And and if in fact this was the warlord that we backed, he wasn't a good guy. I keep coming back to that. The people we backed weren't necessarily the most legitimate warlords 
representing the Afghan people, but that's just me. I'm a history nerd. So I'll help, I'll help you out here just a little. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, in your shoes, if that was my worst tradecraft, I would, I would explain it like, okay, yeah, it works out. What Chase does works out in this story, but the reality of it was so much different that I call it bad tradecraft. Yeah, that's where I'm so at. So that to reflect it as something uh, like positive and that could work, even though it does work in the story, like in reality, mm-hmm. we knew that it uh, I, was horrible. And And I keep doing that. I keep thinking about the history and I get away from that. Um, whether it's the Phoenix program or the Sam missiles, right. Or the Northern Alliance that I keep talking about, which were the, which was the Hamzads we supported for a while. Um, that's how I look at that through this. I look at this show. I look at this fictional story and maybe I shouldn't be as much through what really happened. You know? Well, I think I, you know, it w- Whatever you want to bring to the show, I want to have. I'm I'm definitely enjoying <laughs> doing this with you. Uh, over to our best tradecraft, uh, dementia. We talked about a little like that situation. You know, you mentioned uh, that guy. You know, uh, teased around and played with the concept in the books that the slow horses is based on. Uh, mm-hmm. I liked. I loved seeing it addressed here and the way that uh, you know Chase might just be on like hyper edge you know i mean he's been hiding out for like 40 years 30 years you know jumping at shadows and because he's seen someone succumb to dementia he has to ask himself am i really seeing what i'm seeing and going and getting that cognitive test i'm giving that some good tradecraft uh mm-hmm. my number two and number one they're kind of similar they're just based on characters plans harper's plan to achieve his win condition of making chase go away forever. And the way he lays it out to chase in their phone call in the car, uh, is really good. But number one, best hundred percent goes to Angela. Again, Alia shot cat ruling the day, uh, when she correctly has figured out enough about Harper's motivations and his win condition to be able to help him get his objective done by putting him in a situation where he sees it's kind of like, like, okay. So my number two, what I just said is like, you only have two choices here where that Harper gave to chase. Like basically Angela is doing the same thing to him in this situation. Like the only way you can get what you want is to get me what I want. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were your, what were your uh, best? My number one is classic psyops, right? The whole idea of creating a legend, right? Which is psyops. They didn't have to create one. They had one with Baba Korkor, <laughs> the beast who ate everything, right? Yeah. Who was Chase, unlike ghost legends that don't exist, that still are effective, like a la Kaiser Jose. So the whole psyops, right, of creating a legend, which is a big part of intelligence, Usually they're fake, right? Usually they don't exist. This time they had a real one. To me, that was huge. I like it. That's real. That's real trade craft because psyops is a huge part of intelligence work, especially in foreign countries. 
Do you think he was authorized to do that shit? No, he wasn't authorized. <laughs> to, that's why they got in trouble, right? We never quite find <laughs> out what 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 the parameters of his of his mission well, were. And then there's <laughs> we we just know how far he overstepped them. But then there's black operations too that are kind of official, but they're not playing by the rules too. So uh, yeah, I thought that was a great example of creating a legend through psyops, but it was a real one. All right, your best um, number two. Strings up the tin can uh, tripwire in his house. You know, primitive but effective. I like it. Your best number three. All right. Uh, the delivery of the M21 sniper rifles, which, as I said, may be a stand-in for the SAM surface-to-air missiles um, for that, you know, for those yet-to-come Stinger missiles that would, in fact, here I go again, tip the balance in favor of the Mujahideen against the rifles. Now, maybe in this story, it's going to be the M21 sniper rifles that tip the balance. I'm always curious. I get so little feedback from our listeners. Do you understand why I chose park benches as the symbol of our rating of how accurate the tradecraft is? I'm going to pick slow horses, right? Because that's where Lamb and Lady Di have their meetings. Sure. Right? About you really want to go there? Because if you do, this is what I'm going to do to you. And this is where he tells Lady Di that he has all this shit on her and which keeps him alive and going and she knows not to mess with him. So most of those big decisions are done on park benches. um, Spies love them. Spies love to meet on park benches. That might be, that might become less and less true as, as, as cell phones, you know, in, in, in further infect and become embedded in our culture. Like, why would you, why would you do that when you could, use some kind of dead drop or something. Well, but it's right. They usually pass things to each other too on park benches, right? It's classic. If it's not a dead drop and, and here, okay. Now we met, we met on the star rating. We're both of four on the park bench rating. We have to meet, we have to negotiate this out a little. So I'm just going to put out my opening bid. You tell me if you can bring it up or down. Uh, For me out of one to five, I'm going to go with a 3.5. Well, first of all, tell me what Park Bench looks for. How accurate is the tradecraft? Three days of the Condor, three point five. Sound about five. Five. You think three days? Five. Five. That is the most. That is the most. And I'll tell you why. Okay. (laughs) That predicted Iran freaking Contra. Okay. When Ali, that's why it's one of my favorite movies of all time. When Ali North sat there at that Iran Contra here hearings and said, I told the director, I think it would be neat to have an organization within the CIA. I thought, holy shit, that is what three days of the Contra was all, three days of the Condor was all about. And the conversation that Cliff Robertson has with Robert Redford, okay, when Robert Redford says, you know, about all these games he's playing with uh, Max von Sado and all these contingency plans and, you know, shutting down things and killing that person and playing all this. Redford says, why don't you ask him, meaning the American people? And Cliff Robert said, 
they're not going to want to be asked when they run out of food, when they run out of fuel. In other words, we need to keep playing these games as ruthless as they are because they're not going to want to know. They're not going to, I mean, they're not going to want to know why. They're just going to want food. They're going to want water. They're going to want fuel, which is what, so I'm, that, that movie <laughs> okay, was okay, so okay. far ahead of its time. So you think it was so far ahead. Okay. Much, much more. I'd, much I'd more. give it a five. I'd give it a freaking five okay, because okay. it was, not only was it well so done spy wise in the story, but it was prophetic with not only, I mean, decades later, the Iran Contra would have, but also it, not that I buy it all because I'm more for on Redford's side, but I, when Clifford Robertson said, the American people aren't going to want to care. They're just going to want those things, which basically rationalized the ruthlessness of those games they were playing. I don't think anything beats that. I give it a five. Spy Game is another movie we gave a 3.5. Do you think it's... Do you think I can't remember that one? What was that? That's fine. That's fine. Was I got it. I got it. Oh, that's uh, I saw it, but I can't remember that one. Is Robert Redford and Brad Pitt? Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't remember it okay. enough to don't worry about it to rate it. Uh, yeah, Samurai Spy. I'm sure you haven't seen. No one has. Everyone should. It's mm-hmm. it's a pretty good movie. The Good Shepherd. We give a 3.5 too. I'm not sure. The Departed Scorsese film. Uh, well, I guess spy within the police department. Uh, that's based on a Korean it is. movie too. Did you know that? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, we watched yeah. it. It was good. <laughs> the only thing about that is I love Scorsese and they've, the Academy ignored, and that was good, but, but they ignored but so many of it. But realistic. Do you think you, uh, for them to have, for them to have kept that charade up for so long? No. The, so the, I don't but think the question so. I'm really asking you is the old man and the departed. Do you think the old man is significantly more or less realistic than the departed? I'm saying they're about the same in my estimation. Okay. All right. All right. Just to hold how long they kept the charade on both ends. I didn't think it was realistic. Okay. Uh, Two more for you. Miss Sloan. I don't remember that one. You should see it. Jessica Chastain. It's a great movie. Oh yeah. Wait, I might have. I don't can't remember. That was another one with uh, John Lithgow uh, that we did, and uh, the last one, Ronan. That was good. How about the tor- one torture the the torture report? We haven't with uh, we, have, we haven't done that one, and I haven't seen it. Haven't done that one. That again, that's realistic because that has to do with Abu Ghraib and and um, extraordinary renditions, right? And all that shit that went on. Um, you know, the whole idea of extraordinary rendition where we, so we couldn't torture them yes. in our own country. We'd send them off to Egypt yeah. and no, other places. Yeah, yeah. The content and it's it, on our list. Yeah. It's on our list. But now that we're doing monthly for at least for the foreseeable future, I don't know when we'll get to it. Um, and I just saw the one about the women um, during World War II who were sent over into occupied France, spy something. Mm-hmm. It was about all these women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was pretty good. Nice, nice, nice. Um no, I mean, I just think Three Days of the Condor is in a category of its own. Not only the best spy movie I've ever seen, but one of the best movies I've ever seen. All right, clear. But I'm, yeah. I'm clearly, yeah, high, high marks from Fred Kennedy for Three Days of the and, Condor. And, and it was to me, it was, it was prophetic. It was prophetic when, when I looked at the Iran Contra, 
and uh, so many other things that have happened. So, yeah. All right. Well, that is an episode of Spies Like Us, Mr. Fred Kennedy. All right. Well, what did we come up with for the park bench for this one? Well, three, four. Uh, I'm with a 3.5. If you've made any, okay. if you've made any argument, it's either that you think three days of the condor is so much more realistic than this, that you think we should push this one down. But I don't know. That was just, well, that was just David and I's rating that we, I just think, it. yeah, I just think condor is in a category all of its own. Okay. Cause it's so good. All right. It's so, so freaking let's, good. Let's not try and, to compare and, it with the old man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I like this. I like this. I don't know if three, four, what, to me, until we see where they're going with this, because the thing that keeps bugging me about the whole thing is what's the controversial part of it? You know, unless it's something personal with Haz, with uh, Hamza and uh, Chase, which of course part of it is, but what's the political historical thing that we don't already know about? Right. So I don't, I, can't, I, I would reserve a judgment until I see where they're going with it. What I, yeah, I mean, and another of my arguments for, for keeping it up, you know, at the 3.5 level is the interactions between people related to their professional relationships with each other as spies feels so good. The Raymond Waters character feels so good. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's mostly that. It's mostly in the human uh, interaction. Yeah. In, in interplay and i don't think like that's something three days of the condor didn't have as much of to me okay yeah i could see that all right let's call it good the only thing is the only weird thing about that was <laughs> he was as i said to you before because he wasn't a professional he wasn't predictable which is why they couldn't catch him right all right fred there's one last favor i have to ask of you it's a very simple one okay i just need you to say <laughs> I just need you to say Mora initiate protocol nine. All right. Mora initiate protocol nine. Protocol nine initiated. This podcast will self destruct in 20 seconds. The preceding transmission sampled the songs Ice Cold by Audio Nautics, Enter the Party by Kevin McLeod, and sound effects from freesound.org. Attributions and links are found at spieslikeus.net. Editing by Todd Hostetler.